calls his first disciples. So out of reverence for God's word, uh, let's all rise as we um, read from John. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. This is God's word. Please be seated. Okay, well, good morning, everyone. All right. I'm not sure why Victor is so dressed up today, but anyway. <laughs> I thought I just might get that out there. Okay, that's fine. Anyway, uh, it is good to uh, just, you know, go into God's Word and to continue to just talking about discipleship. And, uh, yeah, I'm just very excited about... Um, this passage and what Jesus continues to just teach us and instruct us about it. So uh, once again, I'm going to ask if we could just go to Lord in prayer and uh, please join me in prayer one more time as we uh, talk about this. So please join me. Father, uh, we thank you uh, for just your constant goodness in our lives. Uh, Lord, you are so good to us and uh, you're good to uh, take our place on the cross. Uh, you're good to take away our shame, our guilt. Uh, you are good to uh, call us to follow you and what that means. And Lord, I pray that uh, as we talk about this, uh, uh, this passage this morning, would you continue to just teach us more of who you are? Uh, what does it mean to follow you? And Lord, open our hearts to see that this is truly the greatest thing in the world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, uh, we be began talking about uh, discipleship, and uh, this is, of course, our theme for uh, the church this year, and uh, 
we talked about the fact that before we can be making disciples, we actually have to know what it means to be a disciple. And uh, as we learn to be disciples of Jesus, uh, that we can then begin to do what Jesus has called us to do. And uh, last week, I started off just talking about the fact that Jesus actually never used the word Christian. Um, not once. And the term that he always used to describe those who knew him was this word disciple. Uh, a follower. And uh, the word Christian is actually very, very seldomly used in the Bible. And so I wanted you to see that really there's no difference between being a Christian and being a disciple. Now, it's not wrong to say Christian, okay? So if you say, I'm a Christian, that's okay. Uh, there's nothing wrong with it. And as long as you mean by that, that I know Jesus saves me, uh, that he's taken my place on the cross, and my life is now centered on him, it's committed to following him by all means. Um, so if that's your understanding of Christian, that's great. But the second thing I want to just talk about is this, that uh, a follower, and I think this is really important, a follower of Jesus isn't just someone who makes sacrifices for Jesus. Uh, we looked at this passage in Luke chapter 14, but uh, it's not a life of, how do you say, just making one sacrifice after another, so to speak. Because religious people do that well, right? Um, religious people make tremendous sacrifices for their religion, for what they, quote, believe in. But Jesus has not called us to just simply sacrifice. Uh, what Jesus has called us to do is to actually surrender. Uh, it's not about a contract, right? Jesus, you, uh, if I make these sacrifices, you'll be happy with me and you'll be pleased with me and... Um, this is the deal. But Jesus has already given his, himself completely to us, and he calls us now to surrender our life, to center it upon him. This is a life of discipleship. And so uh, one of the things I want to talk about, whoa, do you guys hear me? Okay. I thought I was on. I am on? No? Oh, my goodness. My voice is just really loud, huh? Okay. Can you hear me now? All right, there we go. Okay. I just noticed this, but I got, oh my goodness. <laughs> All right, okay. I thought I was on mic this whole time. Could you hear me in the back? Wow, yeah, I, I've got an inherent microphone in my throat. Uh, that's what Mimi says, so. Um, yes, yeah, a built-in microphone. Uh, but a disciple, uh, as, as we've been talking about, is someone who by God's grace and by God's power is learning to follow Jesus, to learn to live like Jesus. That is what a disciple is and to serve his purposes in this world. Now I'm worried, should I repeat what I just said? Oh no, okay. <laughs> All right, I'll just go on. Um, and I want to make this really important caveat to my message last Sunday, because I know that the message is strong last Sunday, and I'm sure it came off a, a bit heavy, and uh, I, I wanted to just really go into this passage in Luke 14 and just say, hey, these are the words of Jesus. Uh, these are, we can't separate the gospel from the demands of it, but I wanted to really make this important caveat, and that is to say this, that a life of following Jesus is not about suppressing your joy. 
I think a lot of times we think about, we take these commands of Jesus, right? Um, if anyone would come after me, let him de deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. And we dredge up these images. Oh, okay, Jesus. Um, I'll make these sacrifices. Okay, Lord. Okay, Jesus. You, you've called me to pain and suffering or whatever. And that is not what discipleship is about. In fact, uh, I want to read to you that when Jesus calls us to take up our cross, to follow him, to deny ourselves, he is actually, what he's doing is calling you to your highest good. And there's a couple of verses I'd like to share with you in 1 John chapter 5, um, as well as John 15. But this is what John says. He says, for this is the love of God that we keep his commands. And check this out. His commands are not burdensome, right? Um, the Christian life shouldn't be one where, oh, like I've got to, you know, you know, I've got to follow him. I've got to do what he tells me to do. And this is really, really difficult. Well, um, yeah, there's an aspect where it feels like dying. It really does. But it should not be burdensome. Uh, we should look at God's commands and his heart behind the commands and see what a good God he is. In John chapter 15, Jesus says this. He said, Jesus promises this great joy right he says these things i have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full uh, what jesus really wants is your joy and in fact he is more committed to your joy than you are do you believe that the things that you think well if i live my life this way if i follow my own way this is going to make me happy and when Jesus says, I've got a better way for you, do you believe that that better way will actually lead to greater joy in your life? Because this is what Jesus wants, what he intends for you and I. Um, you know, as a father to my children, I want my kids to flourish. I want my children to be happy, right? I want them to succeed. I want them to uh, have great friendships. I want them to um, really do well in a lot of things. And I remember my kids as we were going through summers, you know, and, you know, my, if my kids, if they had it their way, they would say, okay, we want to spend our summers eating ice cream all day, right, and watching movies and just sitting around and doing nothing. This is what's going to make me happy. And Mimi and I would say, no, that is not what's going to make you happy. This is going to be miserable. And we said, okay, eat some ice cream, watch movies, sleep in. That's okay. Relax. You need to relax. You need to enjoy. But we want to put you through school. <laughs> and we want to put you through summer school, not because we idolize their success or getting straight A's. That's not the point. But in going through school, even using their summers wisely and productively, they're learning a lot of things, right? They're learning uh, perseverance. They're le learning delayed gratification. They're learning how to um, just develop good study habits, uh, good self-discipline that will help them tremendously in life. And even though they didn't like it at that time, now that two of my kids are in college, they are reaping the benefits. Kind of, <laughs> all right? 
Uh, but yes, you know, they are seeing the wisdom and they're saying, wow, you know, it's really the, the lessons I'm learning of, you know, denying myself, like learning to persevere, learning to, be, to just be gritty and uh, learning to just do hard work, develop a good hard uh, work ethic, these kind of things, these are actually paying off. They're, they're really good for me. So this is what Jesus does, right? And when Jesus, when he sets boundaries in our lives, right? When he says, don't do this, <laughs> don't do that, do this, do that. Um, it's because he knows this is what's going to be best. And it's going to pay off. It really will. And so this is what Jesus is committed to. And so last week we talked about this, that if we can see the goodness of Jesus and we can say, Lord, I see you and my life is given to you, right? This is, this is what discipleship is. And this morning I want to focus on what does a follower do and how does this process really work and how does the, the dynamics and the heart work with this. So going back to this text in John chapter 1 verse 35, uh, let's go back to this. And I want to start off by saying this, uh, followers of Jesus, first and foremost, followers of Jesus, first and foremost, are those who are redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And verse 35, uh, this text right here where Jesus calls uh, his first disciples, it says, the next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and he said, behold the Lamb of God. And this is the second time that John the Baptist is looking at Jesus as he's walking by. The first time is in verse 29. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this is first and foremost why Jesus came into this world. He came in to take away not just the sin of the world, but he came away to take away your sin and my sin personally, that he came to be the sacrifice, that he is a one-time sacrifice that all of the Old Testament was pointing to. Uh, he would be the, the, the Lamb of God that was slain. And this is so important because if we don't get this, then we don't understand what discipleship is about. You know, Jesus when he came, he did not come to reward good people. This is not why he came into the world. He didn't come to say, oh, you, you, you guys have it straight. You guys got it right. Some of you guys, you need some correction. You guys are losing it. And, um, you know, let me deal with you guys. That's not why Jesus came. He came to forgive sinful people who know their need for forgiveness. This is why Jesus comes. And this is really the essence of the gospel. To save, to redeem, to take the things that you and I know in our hearts are crooked, that are wrong, that are broken, and to say, I, I came to forgive, I came to save. This is his primary purpose, to be the Lamb of God for you and I. And I think we, we would get it very mixed up 
if we had, to, if we kind of reversed it, and we, we as Christians or we as uh, disciples or whoever that we would say to Jesus, Jesus, let me prove myself. Let me first get my act together. And if I can get my act together, then you will receive me. Then you'll love me. You'll forgive me. That's not how it works. Jesus says, I know that you guys don't have your act together. So let, let me love you. Let me pour out my grace. Let me forgive. And following Jesus is always a response to that every single day always a response and i praise god for that uh, but second thing i want you to see is this in john 1 37 to 38 followers of jesus learn to abide with jesus they learn to abide with jesus so verse 37 to 38 um, john continues to recording says this the two disciples heard him say this and they followed jesus and Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? You know, right here in verse 37, we find that this is what it means to, to follow. John the Baptist, his two disciples who are constantly with him, right? And they're learning from John the Baptist. But as soon as... John the Baptist says, sees Jesus, he immediately points his disciples to him and say, there he is. And they turn immediately to follow him. And I think what really impresses me about this whole thing is John the Baptist, it took, it took tremendous humility for him, I think. Because he is a pretty powerful preacher and he, must, he amassed a pretty good crowd and um you know if he had a podcast i think it'd be like you know in the thousands hundreds thousands of followers or whatever and this is john the baptist and immediately you know he points to jesus and says here this is him and they immediately said john the baptist it's nice knowing you but you know the two disciples began to follow jesus right at that moment and they call jesus now rabbi teacher and I, I, I mentioned this last time, but I want to repeat it again, that this Jewish idea of, of coming under a rabbi or teacher is very, very different from our understanding of what it means to come under teacher. You know, in Jewish culture, if you were honored to be selected by a rabbi, to learn under a rabbi, it means that you not only learn their content it's not just sitting down taking notes and taking an exam it it meant that you would now begin to adopt this the lifestyle of the rabbi too you would be with them and you would pick up the things that they said how they said it how they lived all of those things and so when the disciples are calling jesus rabbi it's it's jesus way of inviting them and it's their acknowledgement that we're going to just learn everything we can from you this is what it is and i don't know if you've ever experienced this right but um think about like the people that you really respect in your life right the people you really look up to and admire have you ever noticed that when you start hanging around them you start acting like them right 
And I've noticed that. Like, I start picking up subconsciously a lot of little things from, like, these people that I really respect. So, for example, uh, last summer, our retreat speaker in the end, Pastor Ben Shin. Well, he's one of my earliest rabbis. <laughs> All right, well, mentors. All right. So he's one of my earliest mentors. And, you know, I just really respect Pastor Ben tremendously. Um, I've learned so much from him. And I have the highest regards for him still. And it's really interesting because if you've ever heard his messages, Pastor Ben, he, he frequently uses this phrase. He says, now, may I submit to you this truth. May I submit to you. How many people do you know use that phraseology? Like no one. But it's weird because sometimes when I was preaching, I would find myself saying, now, may I submit to you. I go, where is this coming from? <laughs> right? And it's this subconscious, like I absorbed the, these little mannerisms about him. And this is what it is to be with Jesus. May I submit to you that when you are spending time with Jesus, that when you're in the presence of Jesus, you will pick up his mannerisms, that you will begin to adopt the more the longer you're able to be in the presence of Jesus, not that he comes and goes, we know he's always with us, but the more that you're intentional in your habits of pursuing Jesus and being with him, you will be more and more like him. That is what it means to sit under Jesus, just like Mary. It's to be at his feet, to abide with Jesus. And this is how that works. One thing I, I appreciate about this is this, that these disciples, they come to Jesus, and the disciples ask uh, this question to him, where are you staying, right? And, uh, you know, Jesus turned to them, and he said, well, what are you seeking? And uh, they said, well, where, where are you staying? Verse 39 Jesus doesn't answer their question. He doesn't say, I'm staying at this location here or whatever. You know what he says to them? He says, come and you will see. Come and you will see. You have to take steps towards Jesus. And you may not understand everything. You may not have all your questions answered. And you go through some things, it's like, oh, you know, why did this happen? Or this disappointment or whatever, Jesus doesn't give you the answers. But what he does do is he says, come, come, come and you'll see. Take those steps of trust. And as you take those steps of trust towards him, things will become clearer. This is what he does. And what Jesus does is he invites us to come and see more and more. Take those steps towards him. You don't have all the answers. But it's not about having all the answers. It's about taking steps, trusting him one step at a time. And I want to say one more thing to, about this. Um, it's, we had a really good discussion in our CG this past Tuesday night, and I really appreciated that discussion. Um, sometimes when we see the words of Jesus, you know, whoever does not renounce everything cannot be my disciple. You know, we think, oh, man, you know, I, 
like, yeah, I've just, I've really blown it, or I just, you know, I'm, I'm not completely there, or whatever. Um, and what I want to say is this, that it's not about perfection, but it is about direction. And that's really important. We're all far, far from perfect, okay? Very far from perfect. But the question is not whether our life is completely perfectly aligned with Jesus. None of us will be there until heaven. But are you moving in his direction? Are you taking those steps? Um, Are you, when Jesus shows you something that's out of alignment and he's showing you, wow, this is going to be really bad for you and it's going to lead to really uh, terrible consequences, do you learn from Jesus and you say, ah, you know what? That's right. Your way is so much better than my way. Are you taking those kind of steps? Because that's an important thing. And then the last thing I want to just share with you is in, uh, verses 40 to 51. I mean, this is a long passage, but as I read this passage, what I want you to do is um, I want you to look at the relationships. And I want, I want you to look at how does this, this process of people following Jesus, how does it work? Look at verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. The last thing I want to show you is this, that as you are this redeemed child of God under the blood of Jesus, and you're allowing that to soak into your heart, and as you learn to abide with Jesus, that it's only natural that you and I, that we will seek to introduce others to Jesus. This is only natural, and this is actually a great picture of discipleship in this passage, right? It's only natural that if you found the cure to cancer, you would want to tell the whole world, I found the cure. That's the most natural thing, right? If you found, if you, found um, you know, we, right, any great restaurant, great dim sum, you know, movie that you watch or whatever, what do you do? Ah, oh, you got to check out this place. Come, come, see, check it out. If this is the most natural thing. And here, we see that those who know Jesus, those who follow Jesus, 
introduce naturally others to Jesus. And who do they introduce? Others in their natural relational networks. If you look at the chain of events, right, John the Baptist, two disciples, to Jesus. One of those disciples happens to be Andrew. Andrew introduces who? His brother, Simon Peter, to Jesus. Jesus calls Philip, but then Philip introduces Nathaniel to Jesus. Now, you look at all those people, of all those people who came to know Jesus, there was only one that Jesus called directly. It was Nathaniel. That was the only one. Or I'm sorry, it was Philip. He was the only one. But if you look at the others, how did they come to know Jesus? It wasn't through like a vision in their dream or from heaven. It was through other followers of Jesus who introduced them to Jesus. And guess what? That's exactly what Jesus does today. How are people going to come to know Jesus? You and I. You know, what's interesting in this passage is this. You don't hear much of Andrew in the Bible. He's one of those background kind of guys, right? He's not the upfront guy like Peter is. But without Andrew, Peter would not have come to know Jesus. And Andrew was the key. In fact, he was so much the key that you guys have heard the, the, the term, uh, uh, <laughs> you know, you guys have heard the name Billy Graham, right? Uh, most of you. He's probably the most famous evangelist uh, of the last century. And he has these huge crusades, right? Billy Graham's this gifted crusade evangelist. And hundreds of people, hundreds of thousands of people have come to know Christ through Billy Graham. But do you know that leading up to these big crusades, you know what they call uh, the, the process leading up to that? They call it Operation Andrew. Why? Because where are these millions of people or hundreds of thousands of people or tens of thousands of people, where are they coming from to fill the stadiums through Andrews? Through ordinary, everyday Christians, followers of Jesus, saying, hey, come, come and see. Come and check it out. Come and see who this Jesus is. Without those hundreds of thousands of Andrews, there's no way that Billy Graham would be able to uh, have that ministry at all. And the gospel always, always flowed, if you look at the history of the church, uh, it always flowed through everyday Christians like you and I. That's what I love about actually uh, being part of China, the work that's happening out there, because most, the vast majority of churches there, like 99% of churches there, they're illegal, they're unregistered, they're underground, right? And we've been hearing about the persecution recently about it. But what I love about this whole house church movement in China is this, that um, this, there are no rock star preachers, okay, that you just dial into, or rock star churches for that matter. There aren't like, there isn't that. What you find is just hundreds of thousands of house churches gathered together, and these house churches are usually about 30 to 60 people, and they're very ordinary, everyday type of Christians. And yet, Christianity is exploding in China. 
Why? Because it's not dependent upon these rock stars. It's about you, Jesus using you and I, ordinary followers of Jesus, to introduce others. And a lot of times, I think, when we think about um, evangelism, it's intimidating, and we think, oh, I could never do that, you know. And, uh, you know, when you think about, you know, I'm just, I'm just an ordinary Christian. I go to church. I worship. You know, I read my Bible and things like that, but I'm not someone to introduce others to Jesus. And we think, well, the people who do that are like, you know, people like Brooks Buzer, you know, the that great missionary speaker who came, Wayne Chen or whatever, and those are the people who really introduce others to Jesus. But that is not true. They are ordinary people, very ordinary. The Bible tells me that. And I want to say to you that God uses you in your natural personality who you are. Don't try to be someone else. Don't try to be a Brooks Buzer or Wayne Chen or these guys. That's not what God has called you to be. God has simply called you to be you. But God has gifted you and God has given you your unique personality. He's also given you uh, your unique place where you're at in your workplace, school, uh, neighborhood. God has used, has placed you there specifically for a reason. And I want to say that for many people, you may be the closest thing to a follower of Jesus that they will ever truly know. They will not walk through the doors of this church, but they know you. And because they know you, um, that's the closest thing to church they'll ever experience. You know, sometimes we say, well, I don't know enough, or, you know, I'm going to really botch it up. And I want to say to you, it doesn't depend upon you. And it doesn't depend upon your perfect presentation of the gospel. Okay? It's good to learn, good to be equipped, that's important. But it's not dependent on those things. God uses you and I by grace, by his power. And he will use very imperfect people with imperfect presentations of the gospel. Um, he will use all of that because it depends upon his grace. So, as you experience the love of Jesus, and you have this great news, Jesus wants to say, I'm, I wanna use you. You're the person who's gonna be my missionary. You're gonna be my pastor. You're gonna be my evangelist. You're gonna be my representative in this world. And following Jesus, is this, this picture, right? Redeemed, abiding with Jesus, using your natural relational networks to tell others about Jesus, and this is all possible because you have the Holy Spirit. You and I have the Holy Spirit. And if we have the Holy Spirit, we have the gospel, that is enough. That is truly enough. So follow Jesus, pursue him, and learn to um, daily say, Jesus, I want to I learn from you. You are my rabbi. You are my teacher. Show me a different way. Show me how to live. Uh, your ways are always much better than my ways. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, truly your ways 
are always good. And we thank you for your heart of love to us. Uh, we thank you that you would take um, weak and sinful people and you would redeem us and that you would make us your children. And Lord, I pray that you would uh, daily teach us what it means to uh, abide with you, to let your words abide in us, uh, showing us the goodness of your word to us. And Lord, as we do that, that you fill our lives with tremendous sense of joy and purpose. And we're so thankful, God. Uh, thank you, Lord, for redeeming us and bringing us into your kingdom. Lord, make us a church that would follow you and help others to follow you too. Amen.